When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for tuning in to Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. Alexis and Suzanne here with a quick message about our early season one episodes. Just like it took Rory time to get settled into Chilton and the Gilmore Girls writers to develop the role of a random guy named Mick to the Kirk that we all know and love, here at Talking Fast, it took us some time to learn to podcast. As you listen to our early episodes, we ask for your patience as you witness our process of learning how to host a podcast, organize an episode, edit audio, get new equipment, and more. We also understand that sometimes you just like to skip over the Independence Inn and get to the good parts of Lorelai and Sookie living out their dreams running the dragonfly. So if that's the case, feel free to skip ahead to after our mid-season one recap where we feel we hit our podcasting groove. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy and stick around. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. Today we'll be discussing the season one pilot and episode two, The Lorelei's First Day at Chilton. So welcome to our first segment, which is Talk Fast, in which we attempt to recap both episodes in 30 seconds. We've taken this strategy from Harry Potter and the Sacred Text um, it'll be a challenge, but uh, we'll give it our best shots. Would you like to go first, Alexis? Yeah, I'm both nervous and excited for my first talking fast attempt. Oh It'll be scary. <laughs> Do you have a timer ready for me? Yep. Uh, 30 seconds. Okay, ready? Tell me. Yes. Set. Go. So we meet Rory and Lorelai in Luke's diner. They're a mother and daughter. They're both hit on by the same guy. Then, uh, I probably got to go faster. Then uh, Lorelai works at an inn. Rory's been accepted to Chilton. They need money. They ask their parents for money. They have Friday night dinners. Uh, Rory has a crush, so she doesn't want to go. But then she does want to go, so she has her first day at Chilton. And it's a bit rough. Uh, they drink coffee at Luke's diner at the end. Uh and yeah do i have any more time nope that's it (laughs) okay (laughs) it's so hard to do two episodes especially okay yeah and that yeah so let's see if you can do (laughs) better i don't know if it'll be hard to do better than that but (laughs) i will uh let's see i'll get a timer going for you so i feel like i've suddenly forgotten both episodes (laughs) Okay, on your mark, get set, go. Okay, we pan into Stars Hollow and we meet Lorelai and Rory, and uh, they're having coffee together. We get a little bit of intro of their characters and the other characters. We meet Suki, Michelle, and Lane, and Dean stands in agape at Rory as she walks into the uh, high school. And then we find out Rory's been accepted to Chilton. Lorelai has to ask for money from her parents, who are rich. And then they have, in episode two, their first day at Chilton, and Lorelai forgets her clothes, and um, some weird guy hits on Lorelai on the first day as well. Rory is called Mary, and she moves Paris. Oh, 
past 30 seconds. Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> okay, let, let's slow down and look at the main points of the episodes. Let's get everything that we missed in our 30-second recaps. Right. We might be, you know, avid fans of the show, but we're not quite as good at talking fast as a Gilmore. So yeah. I agree. Let's go a bit slower. Let's hit a few of the main moments from episode one and two. And I think the first thing I would really I'd like to bring up is a sort of iconic scene I feel like is in a lot of our memories of the very opening scene of the whole show in which we meet Lorelai and Rory and there's the like humorous scene of that guy hitting on both mm-hmm. of them. And we also have Luke there too. So I feel like what a crucial scene in terms of character as well as tone. Uh, yeah. What stands out to you about like that main moment, that first scene? I think that one of the reasons I remember that scene the most is honestly because Netflix plays that scene as the preview every time I go onto Netflix <laughs> and hover over Gilmore Girls. But I'm also always really surprised at like the casual grossness of the guy hitting on Lorelai and then Rory and saying he's got a friend. Um, that just seems so extremely gross to me. Right. He also talks about how she doesn't look old enough to be a mom, so how old does does he think Rory is? Yeah, and even at the point when the, and I don't know this guy's name, I think creepy dude is enough to (laughs) describe him, but he doesn't even back off when Lorelai says that's her daughter. It's not Mm -hmm. until she says that she's 16 that he really, like, leaves the door at that point so you're right for the first scene and for the scene to be a netflix preview it's interesting that it's surrounding this fairly creepy interaction that isn't necessarily what you might expect of gilmore girls throughout the rest of the series although Mm -hmm. i'm happy to talk about tristan in a moment so maybe creepy dudes hitting on people is a recurring issue that's explored yeah i'd also made a note of the creepy dude who it's on Lorelai at Chilton. So, and I, I do think it's something that happens more in the first couple episodes and kind of like tapers off or at least becomes like more isolated in later episodes. But we definitely get like our first meeting of these two characters is seeing them, I don't know, as I guess sexual objects, even though Rory is 16. I'm glad you connect that to the older the dad at Chilton who hits on Lorelai as well because I think that is some a central part of her character that perhaps the show is trying to show us early on like Lorelai is a mom who dates you know she's a cool mom she has prospects she's out there she's flirty and in a way I think we see her with a lot of agency in pursuing those romantic relationships But in that scene, as you're talking about, it's definitely more objectified than it will be, I think, at later moments. Like, even though we might think that dad is a bit creepy for, like, pursuing her instantly, uh, she is, like, very into him as well. Like, we see her desire there, and ultimately she pulls back because she doesn't want to get entangled with, like, someone in Rory's life which is uh, ironic (laughs) considering Max Medina will be coming up later on not to teach her at the school but (laughs) anyway yeah I also think it's interesting like 
the first male character who's actually going to be a character in the show that we meet is Luke, who, like, we all know from the very first episode is going to be a love interest for Lorelai. Um, although she doesn't even hint at that until the end of episode two, but... Yeah, and he gives off a totally different vibe in comparison with these kind of creepy guys. But he's also still pining for her, as we find out later down the line. <sighs> Poor Luke. <clears throat> I I actually forgot that they foreshadowed the Luke and Lorelai romantic relationship as early on as the first mm-hmm. two episodes, especially with the joke at the end of episode two where Lorelai where Rory says to Lorelai that she's not, she can't date Luke because they won't be able to go to the diner anymore, basically. And I mean, that does happen in a way later on. Um, And she asked, like Lorelai asked Rory if she thinks Luke is cute, which is like, oh, so she, you know, this is something in the works in a small way that they'll really pick up later on to become, you know, one of the biggest couples of the show. Uh, so it's all there from the first <laughs> the first scene. Uh, yeah. Do we want to move to our next main moment? Yeah. Okay, so this is actually a very important moment to me, which is when we go to the hotel, the Independence Inn, and meet Michelle and Suki. And this is important to me because I worked at hotels at the front desk for like three or four years, and I empathize with Michelle a lot because it's terrible when people are like expect you to just magic rooms into existence and I mean he definitely you know would be fired in any other place but but I understand his uh his attitude towards guests yeah I yeah I completely agree with you the meeting of Michelle and Suki is just truly a delight to just see their characters on the screen again from my memories of them it's like oh this is when we meet them and they're two of my favorite characters and I'm sure you probably agree and it's just really interesting to see the beginning of this like Lorelai and Suki relationship as well like they're still at the Independence Inn not yet the Dragonfly Inn so it's really cool to see like the roots of where they began together and like knowing where they're gonna go yeah I also, this is, I mean, from episode two, so I'm kind of jumping around, but I love the um, Suki and Jackson introduction where we meet them as a strange kind of, like, antagonistic uh, relationship. And I just, I love that in these first two episodes, they're already telling us exactly who to ship um, (laughs) with Suki and Jackson and Luke and Lorelai. Like, we know that that's who we're going to be rooting for for the rest of at least the first season. I don't remember exactly when they finally get together. It might be the second season, but yeah, they're great characters. Yeah, like not only do we have a sense of, I, I think with our hindsight, we can definitely pick up on this. Like they had a firm sense of where they were going with so many of these relationships and character arcs, like you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, and the real turning point like the reason we are joining is like the next big thing that happens we find out Rory's been accepted to Chilton um and this changes absolutely everything and is basically the whole reason for the show um I 
I've never, I went to a public school, so I just can't, I can't believe that they spend so much money on chilting. I agree. I also went to a public school. It's such a different world (laughs) that she's entering. And it's like, it's a really good premise for the show as well. Um, I love, and also I love the line about Suki, um, to celebrate Suki's saying, uh, that I think, what does she say about Protestants? Protestants love cookies. Doesn't she say she's going to she's gonna make cookies to celebrate because Protestants <laughs> love cookies. I think that's the line. <laughs> oh my god, Suki. I, this is probably something we can talk about in one of our later, later segments, but it just makes me think also, like, Lorelai is definitely doing what's best for, for Rory, and it's good that she's being challenged. But it also is, like, the first step to getting to, into Harvard, which really kind of emphasizes the inequalities in the education system Mm -hmm. we could very much imagine an alternate reality in which rory stayed at stars hollow high and what her life might have looked like would she have still been so lucky as to get into harvard yale and stanford (laughs) even though paris doesn't get into harvard (laughs) i don't know like it's hard to know but you're right it sets forward this theme of privilege and entitlement that will really be explored to different levels of success by the show as the seasons go on and even the revival. (laughs) Yeah. I think another main moment I would love to bring up on the topic of Rory getting into Chilton is that this soon makes, uh, it soon makes Lorelai realize when she opens that bill for the first time that she cannot actually afford on her own to have Rory go to Chilton. And so this brings us, of course, to the Gilmore family home. (laughs) What are your thoughts? You know, can you unpack for us a little bit? Like, what is the relationship there between Lorelai and her parents, Emily and Richard? Well, we get a lot of info dumping, as they say. We find out, like, just from their conversations, basically what happened in the very beginning and we get a lot more of it also later on when they're having their fight um during the first friday night dinner but we find out that lorelei was brought up in this super privileged and rich environment and then willingly left and it just kind of it's like she lives i don't know kind of in a chosen poverty in a way um when she leaves when she's 16 although she has plenty of reasons for it because her parents i mean didn't let her be herself basically um so i think it's yeah it's very interesting that she's Mm -hmm. going back to ask for money so that rory can basically do what she left (laughs) and live the life that she left it's and like i don't think it's ever really seen in that way by lorelei at least not for a while that she's that Rory's living the life that Lorelai should have lived. I'm glad that you point out like that this was her Lorelai's willing decision after a very um, controlled childhood and adolescence that she chooses to leave. In a moment of crisis, though, certainly where she's become pregnant at about 16, I believe, and is basically forced to either accept another controlling life in which she's supposed to get married to Christopher and what kind of life will they live, or she can choose that, you know, to to go out and support herself 
and become ultimately though this very like self-made sort of character who's um i think we see like it's her ultimate strength is that she is so reliant and capable so good at her job too but then on the flip side it's also maybe perhaps a weakness of her character is that sort of pride um that causes this friction between her and her mom emily like i think we get the sense that perhaps they could have repaired things a bit if either of them was willing to like have less pride but they're both so strong-willed so stubborn so prideful that there's been this like what we see in episode one is like this like decades long fight that has basically continued a very cold and distant relationship yeah except for lobster puffs apparently they still have lobster puffs between them I just, I can't get over the fact that that's mentioned in episode two by the principal. I want to know what lobster puffs taste like. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we should have them during an episode and we can give a review for all of our listeners of lobster puffs. (laughs) Though we don't live in Connecticut and I'm imagining lobster in the Midwest isn't as good. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Emily Gilmer would buy lobster from the Midwest. Yeah, that's true. But it's interesting because this goes into one of our next things, like main events that happens in this first um, first episode, which is Rory meeting Dean and then deciding that she doesn't necessarily want to leave the high school because Dean, who's a towering 90s boy, basically, with that hair, <laughs> um, seems, yeah, he seems to have a crush on her. And so this kind of makes Rory reluctant, and I think it... it starts an argument between Rory and Lorelai that Lorelai is just like well I gave up so much just now to get you to go to Chilton including these Friday night dinners and you're kind of about to throw it away for a towering 90s boy and we don't see fights between Lorelai and Rory often Mm -hmm. and when we do they're like mega drama it's so intense and it like ricochets throughout it's like it's so interesting then that like we start with that fight and i it's very interesting recurring themes of like mother and daughter control and versus free will and i think lorelei has tried to do the opposite of emily for so long like totally let rory do her thing and in some ways it's like Rory, we're shown she's the responsible one, and Lorelai is the irresponsible one. It's not always that simple, but I think we get that message early on. And so it's interesting that this fight is, like, Lorelai putting her foot down, which she rarely does, and is saying, like, this is my... Like, she says, normally, you know, it could be a democracy, but I'm, like, this is the di- like dictatorship of motherhood. Like, I'm putting my foot down. You're going to Chilton. That kind of brings us towards the end of the first episode somehow (laughs) the first episode ends with that iconic scene of them chatting in luke's diner which then makes its way into the opening uh, credits montage it always looks so cozy and so nice (laughs) even though so this is this is a qualm i have with the show supposedly it starts like in the mid like beginning of a school year maybe like mid to late September or something and they 
it's freezing. Like the one of the first line that Rory says is it's freezing. And I just have a, I just have an issue with this because right now we're in like the beginning of September and it's 88 degrees outside and I'm just bitter about it. Yeah, I completely agree. It's way too hot and humid in the Midwest. It, I'm not sure I'm not, is stars hollow? Is it really that, you know, temperature when it's September for them? Is it a case of the fictional TV show in which it's like always the conv- the temperature that's good for that storyline at that time or whatever costuming they wanted to do? Either way, it's very, very idyllic in so many different ways, that ending scene. But, you know, I think what's funny then, since we watched the pilot and episode two back to back, we have a very peaceful, lovely ending to that episode after, you know, they've patched things up on their fight. And then we get into episode two, which has a very stressful uh, scene, a stressful main moment (laughs) that Lorelai has, you know, she meant to wake up early so she could shower, get dressed, get coffee. She either slept through her alarm or it didn't or her fuzzy alarm didn't buzz loudly enough to wake her up. <laughs> and she is way too, she's late to take Rory to Chilton. So they're like madly scrambling to get out the door. Rory is stressed beyond belief. And <laughs> Lorelai puts on this fantastically <laughs> awful but wonderful outfit <laughs> um, of boots, it looks like, and shorts and a hot pink t-shirt. <laughs> And they have to head to Chilton for Rory's first day of school. I just don't understand. She woke up wearing pajamas. Why, like, why didn't she wear those pajamas rather than wear this outfit? Which is, like, I mean, it's definitely just, like, for, you know, optics. But it's ridiculous. It doesn't, oh my gosh, Lorelai. And it's not even, it's not shorts. It's, like, short shorts. Which, of course, is why the creepy guy hits on her. At Chilton. Strange. I think it's supposed to be this like very unique mother-daughter relationship like and it's used this extreme situation is used to be like oh look at Rory this very responsible person compared to Lorelai especially then as we find out that Emily Gilmore the grandma is at the school too and it's I think really interesting to think about the roles that they're supposed to be playing and Emily it seems to be like she's got this under control she's like so at home and comfortable in this really elite upper class private school environment and Lorelai has purposefully left that uh, but that doesn't stop her from being like so uncomfortable and out of place as she goes into Chilton also while Rory like even though she was dressed for the day, she's wearing her uniform, which is perhaps her, like, camouflage into the world. She's also trying to, like, figure out, can she feel comfortable? Can she learn the social ways of Chilton as well? Um, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes I wonder, like, I think, especially as the show goes on, we could definitely make arguments for whether or not their relationship is actually good or not. But I think it's so mm-hmm. interesting, and I just wonder sometimes what a like a child psychologist would say if they had somebody like Rory come in with a mother like Lorelai. Like, I mean, there are so many positives to their relationship, but then there are also so many, like, boundaries and <laughs> things that just don't happen between the two of them. 
that make Rory act like an adult from so early. Well, attempt to I agree. act like an adult. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I, I think perhaps it also gets more complicated as the show goes on too. Like perhaps this is a simplification of their relationship. Like, oh, irresponsible mom responsible daughter is it good is it bad but then later on they get to develop that a lot more which I think is great it is one of my favorite mother-daughter relationships of tv like I don't know if I could even name any other ones it's so compelling so interesting to watch but you're right I would be curious to talk to the child psychologists about it maybe we can have an episode (laughs) about that later on interview someone Yeah, it's interesting that this whole show is basically about how daughters deal with their mothers. Because, <laughs> um, like, Lorelai's main antagonist through all of this is also her mom. I mean, Lorelai and Rory are not antagonistic, but Lorelai and Emily uh, do not get along, <laughs> to say the least. <clears throat> yeah, and that the mother-daughter relationship also produces the conflict of so much of this too. Like the mother trying to do the best for her daughter. And that's like Emily and Lorelai to a T. <laughs> like Emily is controlling and it some it doesn't matter necessarily if she's doing things out of love for Lorelai or Rory, if she's overstepping boundaries, if she's being cruel or controlling. Um, but... You know, even, and then even Emily has her really issues with uh, Richard's mom, Trix, right? Yeah. The original Gilmore. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a multi-generational, how do you deal with your mom? How do you, how do you deal with your daughter? Oh my God, sorry. <laughs> and I see I we, have to, our, we have our co-host have here, Suzanne's cat. <laughs> I will post pictures of Fez on our Instagram. Yeah, we'll do an interview with Fez too, maybe. We have a lot of plans for the future of the podcast. <laughs> okay, sorry, where were we? But I think we can move on to our next main moment, which I would say we could talk about two sort of parallel main moments, uh, which is just like, it's two, It's like a day in the life, basically. Like Lorelai and Roy are both having a bad day. That's sort of the structure of the episode And we're flipping in between Rory trying to navigate her first day at Chilton and Lorelai trying to navigate basically like the re-entry of Emily into her life and how Emily, I, in some ways it's a bit heartwarming that she wants to be so involved now that Mm -hmm. she is involved again, but her, we could call it a love language, we could call it a communication style, whatever it is, it is buying a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Just buying so much stuff. Like she has the money, she has this wealth that she wants to provide for Rory in a way that I think it's really interesting that earlier you said Rory is perhaps living out this life that Lorelai chose to leave. And I definitely see Emily picking up on that. Like Emily almost immediately sees a granddaughter who is totally willing to embrace a lot of the lifestyle that she, Emily, wanted for Lorelai. So I think in some ways it's like, oh, I have a granddaughter who will, I can buy a uniform for it. And she's going to wear it to school. She's not going to like try to sneak out of school or sneak out of a uniform. Uh, a lot of different stuff. But, you know, that of course doesn't go well with Lorelai, who's so proud, rightfully so, of how 
much she's been able to keep Rory out of that kind of exclusive lifestyle and she's been able to provide for her so it just really rubs Lorelai the wrong way when Emily is doing things like buying Rory uniforms uh the breaking the breaking point is when Emily wants to buy them better internet for the house (laughs) which I would kind of like to be honest but I understand why it's a huge overstepping kind of moment yeah also like this was what in 2000 so like I don't think my family had internet except dial-up at that point maybe we were just starting to get dsl or something so yeah that would definitely be like a huge change in lifestyle that we just completely forget about today (laughs) but it reminded me a lot their relationship here with like the money and gift giving and everything i have three siblings who have all had babies or children in the last few years And the amount of, like, parenting um, advice that they get from people is just crazy. And it kind of feels like Emily here is, like, making up for lost time and just, like, adding all of these things she could possibly do just to have some impact on Rory's life. But, yeah, it's definitely overstepping. Although, Dean does get Rory a car, so... (laughs) Yeah, I think we're just beginning to open what is a really long book we could read about, like, the money and wealth aspects of the show. And I how on one hand it is a show about a family that is, I don't know, I guess Lorelai maybe we could say is, like, middle class or slightly lower, maybe becomes, like, middle class as the show goes on. Uh, so it's interesting to like have a mate, have like a family as the center of a show that does have money as a concern. Uh, but then there's also so many other elements we'll see about just like people who have a lot of money or sometimes like things that aren't totally explained, perhaps like, okay, if Lorelai and Rory, you know, are of a more modest income, how can they afford to eat at Luke's all the time or just like other things like that? Like, Money is definitely a central, like, money and class are is a central, I think, interest of the show, and it begins really early on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which also we can see playing out in Rory's first day at Chilton, when she comes in as, I guess, I mean, she doesn't have a scholarship, but she could be, like, a lot of times, I feel like you would see People like her referred to as scholarship students in a private school like this. Maybe she should have gotten a scholarship, but um, she's like a lower income person. She's from a public school and she's coming in and she meets, um, I guess she doesn't properly meet these people, but they (laughs) insert themselves into her lives. And the most important of those is Paris, who is I think one of the coolest characters, although she's absolutely terrible at the very beginning. And she's kind of terrible throughout, but with the, in a lovable way by the end. Um, but we meet Paris and her two sidekicks, um, Louise and Madeline, who I don't even remember if they're named in the episode. Um, like one of them is kind of a ditzy rich girl and the other one's a snobby rich girl. And then we also meet Tristan, who's just a snobby rich guy who I can't see without thinking of that Hilary Duff movie The Cinderella Story 
when he was much nicer than by the end. Right. And I think of One Tree Hill, which I believe is the show that took Tristan away ultimately from Gilmore Girls. Perhaps he would have had a longer arc if not for that casting, but I'm eternally grateful for that casting because I despise Tristan. And if I'd had to see him longer than I did in this show or as it is, I would have been pretty angry. (laughs) Yeah, I also like he definitely does add to some storylines later on but I really don't think he's that necessary because and this is going to be jumping way ahead but the bad boy persona is done more with Jess and much better with Jess like that that kind of conflict between Rory the good girl and her supposedly good boyfriend Dean so I don't I don't really know why we have Tristan here except maybe just to be a counterpart like a foil, a private school foil for Dean. Yeah, I think a private school foil for Dean is a perfect way to describe perhaps why Tristan is brought in at all in the second episode because I was a bit surprised um, that Rory's crush for Dean was so strong that it made her consider not leaving public school. Mm -hmm. So then, like, a few days later, meet Tristan, and we don't hear mention of Dean at all throughout that entire episode. I don't know if that's more so, like, something of Rory's doing, or if it's more, like, the show. I'm kind of curious on the writing end of it, like, why not have Dean in this episode? Perhaps there's too much going on, but, yeah, I was like, oh, we had Dean a minute ago. Now we're on to Tristan. Like, what what is going to happen for episode three? I haven't rewatched it yet, so I don't remember, but... (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's also interesting, like, looking at Dean versus Tristan in their first interactions with Rory. Dean has been creepily, honestly, observing her for a long time, and he, he, like, knows her personality pretty well just from his observations, whereas Tristan, he observes her as well, um... And makes a judgment of her and starts calling her Mary, which is ridiculous and super, super sexist. Um, So they both, like, observe and then make judgments of her. And she ultimately, I guess, picks the right one. The one who's less of an asshole. Although I don't understand how anybody could be expected to pick Tristan after how he treats her at the beginning. Right. Like, say what we will about Dean, and we'll say a lot of things, uh, (laughs) but the way that Dean first speaks to Rory, as you say, like, it's kind of creepy the way he's been watching her, the way she's, like, bent down to pick up books, and we just see the camera, like, pan up his whole body before we see his face to, like, tell us, like, oh, this is a really tall person. I'm not sure, but in that conversation they have, Dean, like, Rory makes a joke about, I think it was Rosemary's Baby. She, like, quotes from, I think it was Rosemary's Baby. And Dean says, like, good taste in reference to, like, complimenting her sense of, like, pop culture knowledge. Which I think is, like, the ultimate compliment you could actually give to a Gilmore girl like Lorelai or Rory. Mm -hmm. He actually is compliment. He is seeing something in her that is a true aspect of her personality. So I have to give him credit for that. And later on, he also compliments like how focused she is when she's reading, which is another, like I will give it to him, fantastic compliment to give her compared to, as you said, Tristan 
calling her Mary is just so sexist, so devoid of any, like, knowledge of her actual character. And it just, I mean, it's just so condescending, so rude. I can say so many things about it, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, because, like, later on, I might diss Dean in a lot of different ways, but I did, I was, like, reflecting on these first episodes, like, at least he is better than Tristan in these ways. Yeah, Rosemary's mm-hmm. baby was the only one with Dean, which, yeah, was a very good introduction for him to make, especially because, yeah, that is, is like, the main currency for Rory and Lorelai is their references for everything, which most of them I don't understand. <laughs> but <clears throat> Okay, do you think we should finish up our slowdown for these two episodes? The only other people that we meet are some of the characters of Stars Hollow. So we meet Babette, who I'll reprise in my gazebo moment later, <laughs> and Maury, um, they're an amazing couple. We meet Miss Patty in the first, and I guess she's in the second one as well. And then we meet Mick, uh, who we later know as Kirk. Um, I really don't know why they made that name change. Kirk, I think, works much better, um, but he's a wonderful character. I agree. That was something before we started to record the podcast when we had both rewatched and been taking notes. We immediately told each other, like, did you notice Kirk, uh, who is a beloved character of us as well as, I think, anyone who watches Gilmore Girls? Uh, we're like, it, he was called Mick. Uh, <laughs> and so, I mean, that changes, but it was really funny and interesting that his name, Mick, is actually kind of similar to Kirk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they rename him and make him an established community member of Stars Hollow, entering into that whole cast of characters uh which i don't think we've met taylor quite yet um there's a few maybe a couple others that make up the heart of stars hollow uh that becomes like i this is a show that in some ways isn't always about plot and it's about like character community fun little moments and they're some of the best ones are with that whole stars hollow group that we're just beginning to meet and we'll grow to love them (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have to keep track of when Mick becomes Kirk. Because I, I, can't, I can't remember. We'll have to see. I'm, I'm sure it happens in the first season. but I can't we'll imagine a Star's Hollow without Kirk, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah agreed. <laughs> we interrupted this podcast with a message from our sponsor. Have you ever been to an event where the organizers skimped on the most important thing, the music? Drella Harps On is the solution to a dull birthday or a flopped function. Call Drella Harps On at drellaharpson.com to book Drella and her harp to liven things up. Drella Harps On specializes in Metallica, Guns N' Roses, Broadway ballads, and heart. Note, Drella does not take requests. To get a 10% discount on any event over one hour, visit drellaharpson.com slash talkingfast or use the code TALKINGFAST at checkout. That's TALKINGFAST at checkout for 10% off events over one hour. Note, Drella does not play at the following functions, weddings, birthdays, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, church events, fundraisers, events with more than 13 people, events that are longer than one hour, events without table tables arranged in a circular pattern, or events that require classical harp. 
Okay, yeah, we have, I think we successfully slowed things down, hit up all those main moments of those first two episodes, and now I think we can move on to our next segment that we will typically have, which is going to be what we'd like to call Rory's Bookshelf and Lorelai's Closet. So this is a segment that allows us to discuss all of the pop culture references in Gilmore Girls. Uh, we can't mention all of them, of course, because it's an, an encyclopedia of such fun references. Uh, but we do want to like hit up some of the main ones that are favorites that we notice. And we also, as I mentioned, want to discuss Lorelai's closet, which is meant to just say, to take out, take a look of, at the fashion of this show, particularly Lorelai's, but we're also happy to talk about any other characters that have notable fashion moments. Uh, but Suzanne, if you had to name one sort of shout out pop culture reference for Rory's bookshelf, what would it be for you? So I... As I said, I tried to write down all of them, and there are quite a few books that she mentions, but the two that stood out the most to me weren't books, um, because I feel like they're ones that will be more recognizable to, the, to most people, especially now. The first one is RuPaul, which on, in 2000, I mean, I was only like 10 years old, so obviously, I, I and I also didn't watch this when it was airing, but... I would have had no idea who that was. And I feel like RuPaul has just become more and more of a pop culture person as time has gone on. Um, the other one was Eminem. And I think, so this was mentioned when Lane, uh, when we learned that Lane actually likes, you know, uh, rock music and stuff, which is funny because Eminem's not really rock music. But I thought it was really funny because I think I was raised super Christian and so when I was growing up a lot of the music I listened to was like Christian rock and stuff and I think one of the first secular um, artists I tried to convince my parents to let me listen to was Eminem which is weird it's not my taste at all um, but it was, he was so popular at that time so it just it tickled me <laughs> What were her, what were your standout references? Well, first of all, I I enjoy that you picked up on the Eminem. I also noticed that, and I there's just something very comical about imagining Lane of all people listening to Eminem, and I think she does. I would say have better music taste than that, but maybe <laughs> sometimes you have to wonder if the reference is made for the reference sake in the show. <laughs> uh, but the, what I noticed because I am, you know, I read a lot of American literature for school. I thought it was funny uh, to me that Rory mentions reading Moby Dick by Herman Melville of of her own volition. Like this is not assigned for class. This is something she's reading on her own. She makes a joke about how it's kind of stereotypical to pick Moby Dick as the first Melville, which shows. Not only, it shows a knowledge that of Melville that is deeper than a lot of other people. Uh, and I just was thinking, you know, it also made me think back, like you, you know, thinking about Eminem made you think about at uh, that time, was I aware of Eminem? It made me, this reference made me think, when I, you know, I'm nerdy, I've read Moby Dick now, 
But when I was Rory's age in high school, I would never have even attempted to read Moby Dick. And this is something that continues as much as I love every like book she mentions. Sometimes I'm just so mind blown at the fact that she's able, she chooses to read those things. She seems to get a lot out of them. She seems smart. She's a bit, I think there's a bit of this like uh, prodigy aspect to Rory that uh, I think we're supposed to like buy into or the show wants us to buy into. And so it's things like this, this like reference that she's read Moby Dick as like a way to get us to be like, oh, oh my gosh. Like it's almost so hard to believe uh, that, you know, that reference really did it for me in the these first two episodes. That's also um, like such a hard book to just read with with no um, like guidance or, you know, not for a class where you're going to talk about things like just reading through Moby Dick straight. Like, I mean, A, it's it's not very straight, but it's also so long and the plot is kind of there and not there I don't know that's yeah that's just like admirable I guess good job Rory (laughs) good job Rory now you know let's move on let's take a look into Lorelai's closet here a lot of different outfits although apparently her her closet was empty because her dry cleaning (laughs) was gone every single suit she owns was apparently at the dry cleaners uh were there any notable fashion moments for you in these first two episodes There were, so again, in the first episode, um, and it's not something that Lorelai wears, actually. It's um, something that one of Rory's classmates at Stars Hollow High is wearing, and she's wearing a patchwork jean jacket, (laughs) and I, I remember those when I was growing up. I wanted a pair of jeans that were patchwork jeans, which is... Like, it looks so weird. I, don't, I can't believe we ever wore those seriously. But I, like, begged my mom for a pair of those jeans for so long. And I think maybe in, like, fifth grade or something, she finally got me a pair. And they were so uncomfortable. I don't think I ever actually wore them out in public. It Oh, my God. Such a weird trend. <laughs> what were... Did you have any fashion moments? Yeah, so we already discussed the outfit Lorelai puts on to go to Chilton, which is one that is seared into my memory. So that was certainly one. But I noticed one of the very first outfits at all uh, was that Rory wearing that sweater in the first episode. It's like this cable knit white, huge oversized sweater that is honestly probably in fashion now (laughs) uh but it looks so cozy it gives me such um a new england sweater sort of vibe that has had a cultural moment recently with knives out in the sweaters worn by all of the characters in that movie i was thinking about yeah her sweater as being something i really wanted to wear not on this 88 degree day like we've said but in a few months uh I, it was also interesting, though, that Lorelai made fun of it a bit when they go, they talk later on, uh, which isn't always something you see. They seem, I, perhaps I'm misremembering. I remember them agreeing on style more often, but again, mm-hmm. I'll have to watch more to see if there's more sort of jabs at each other's style, which is also fun. They do clearly have two very different senses of style, Rory yeah. and Lorelai. So that'll be something that's interesting to track as well. 
Yeah, I did just remember one last reference that I want to mention, which was something um, with Miss Patty in the second episode. She tells her dance students to keep the Harry Potter book on their heads for posture. And I worked out, I'm pretty sure this would have been Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire because it was large, so it would keep their posture. Um, but I think this was early enough that it wouldn't have been five, six, or seven. So as a, you know, a Potterhead, although now that's full of all sorts of different difficulties with uh, J.K. Rowling being terrible, but this did warm my heart a little bit to see those kids walking around with Harry Potter on their heads. <laughs> but I really enjoy that reference as well. <laughs> Miss Patty's comedic gold, I think. <laughs> I agree. As you said, I'm trying to look through the, my notes now to see if I had missed any other pop culture references. That's certainly a challenge that I will try to get better at as we continue the podcast. You know, when it comes to taking notes during this show, if I wrote down every single reference, I'd be taking notes constantly, uh, which is both exciting but also stressful in a way. So I'm trying to keep out my eyes for Rory's bookshelf. Uh, it's it's an uphill battle, but a really satisfying one too. I'm willing to do that workout. <laughs> uh, but okay, we can continue on track forward. I mentioned just a second ago that what really appealed to me about that sweater of Roy's was its, was its coziness and that it evoked this New England, Stars Hollow, Connecticut aesthetic for me. And this is something that brings us to another segment of ours, which is picking up on the different places and aesthetics of this show. The Stars Hollow vibe that we all love, that calls to us every time it's fall and we start to smell snow this really positive affect that the show gives us. And so we, fit in, we fit, fittingly call this Welcome to Stars Hollow. And I'm excited to talk about the first few places that we see in the first two episodes. I'll, you know, hand it back to you, Suzanne. I sound like a <laughs> newscaster all of a sudden. <laughs> now on to Suzanne with the weather in Stars Hollow. Uh, what stood out to you? What was like the first sort of, cozy aesthetic moment that you were excited to see I had a lot for each episode so I tried to narrow things down and for the first episode I think one of the things that I like the most about Stars Hollow and that like if I lived in Stars Hollow I would frequent often was Kim's Antiques and I don't think that this place gets enough airtime because it's like a little treasure trove of just like random things I would get lost in there I mean I obviously I don't have money to buy antiques but I would just just like go and stare at everything plus it seems like it just be a very strange experience to be in that store but didn't you hear Mrs. Kim said everything's half off it's probably like <laughs> 250 instead of $500 for a chair because James right. Adams, or John Adams. John Adams or James Adams? Is one of those a beer and the other one is a president? <laughs> John Adams, uh, then Sam okay. Adams oh, for okay. the beer. <laughs> right. That was, uh, I agree. I loved 
the first entrance into the Mrs. Kim's antique shop and the over here joke was really successful. I was definitely laughing. Uh, over here, where? Meet in the kitchen. And then Rory, uh, her sounding so disappointed when Lane said Rory was there. It, it was really comedic. <laughs> I wish we got more of Mrs. Kim and her mysterious husband who shows up in the revival, I think. I don't, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. So what were some of your cozy moments? Other than the sweater. Yeah, the sweater was very cozy for me. I have to say the very, just the first few seconds of the show actually had me thinking about the aesthetics of Stars Hollow because it pans in um, the sort of, I don't think we necessarily get a lot of shots like that in the future episodes although we'll see as we go but it's like there's a camera in the sky which feels like a big production to kind of go over the streets of what we will come to know is stars hollow and it's this very sort of um classic looking almost i like my town had a downtown area that looked slightly like stars hollow not nearly as good but you get the impression that is that whole town it's like so quaint so whimsical uh so you just I just want to go I want to walk on the streets like we see people kind of milling about and then the camera like continues to lead us into Luke's which is like one of the places we'll be in the most often and it just immediately make is a town that I would like to visit basically and knowing what I know about it now it just make it made me so excited to see it and think okay finally we're here we're in Stars Hollow I say finally even though it's like the opening scene of the show Uh, But it's just interesting to me, like, some shows feature landscapes, scenes of the town, just as background, as filler in between. But I think in this case, we meet the town first, rather than the characters, not just for a pretty opening to the show, but, like, the town is a huge part of the show. That's why it's first, you know. Um, So I was so happy to meet Sartalo at the start with that really... cinematic I thought (laughs) uh portrayal and introduction yeah yeah I agree I also really wish that there was a map of stars hollow because I had a question that I had in my notes here especially in episode two where they seem to kind of have their set like figured out especially the house and everything I am so confused by the street layout and their house layout especially is is it on a street is it off a street does it have a driveway or is it just a lawn it's like them it's super confusing and this might be something that just comes from me being from the southwest and not being familiar with new england town structure like this might be a totally normal thing to have a house that just seems to be like off the edge of town (laughs) I don't know but I, I'm always so confused about where this house actually is in relation to everything else I would love to know the layout as well I would love to see the map that you would like to see as well I don't think you're I think you're perfectly right to be confused because I am too and do they like they walk to Luke's all the time so they have to be close um I don't know. I think that's something I want to keep an eye out for 
uh, trying to get a firmer sense of place as the show goes on. Because you're right, I can't quite tell what is, like, a bit shaken up between these episodes and the fact that, like, they probably filmed the pilot at a different time. They're starting to get, like, sets established later on. Perhaps they get new sets because they have more money. I'm not really sure. But I was definitely noticing things look different. And there's certain sets that are not there quite yet um, that I definitely want to keep an eye out for that. Maybe we can start to make a map of our own for Stars Hollow (laughs) and share it once we get a better better sense of things. Yeah, that'd be cool. I always, like, in one episode, probably, like, in season five or something, they rename all the streets, and I feel like there's a map there, but we don't really get a view of it. I've always been a little bit bitter. We should understand. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, as you were talking about the map, I thought of that episode as well, where they rename all the streets. It's very funny. Uh, the drag- They have the dragonfly at that yeah. point, so I think it is later on, definitely. But, um, this- but speaking of Lorelai's house, I did want to bring up, um, well, two points. One is really quick in that I, I also had a question about, like, okay, so we get the sense Lorelai... Um, she, for her first job was as a maid and then she's clearly like worked her way up. It seems like they have perhaps like, I guess my question is, I'm trying to say is like, um, their house is really nice. It seems to me. And it makes me wonder how she was able to afford it. And at what point, um, is this kind of like a discrepancy in the show where like in real life, Lorelai maybe couldn't have had that house. Like, Um, or did she make enough money and perhaps the problem with Chilton was like she couldn't have that much right at once, you know? It's a bit different perhaps to pay a mortgage on your house than to suddenly upfront pay, uh, tuition with like a ton of zeros behind it. But I was kind of like, wow, that's a really lovely, lovely house and it looks really expensive to me almost. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if it's like one of those things like where people have figured out how much, like, the apartments and friends would have actually cost and how none of them could have afforded that. Because, yeah, I agree, especially in the economy these days. Like, we can never afford a house like that unless we were making, Mm -hmm. like, 70000 or more a year, I'd say, because you'd also need to, like, save up for a down payment. And I don't feel like maybe by the point that we enter the story, Lorelai's making kind of that much but if she started as a housekeeper it probably took her a long time and had a baby while she was like on just that salary you know (sighs) right yeah so that was my that was my first question about the house but then my second observation I thought you know earlier you mentioned we will have a foil between Tristan and Dean. Uh, another foil I thought was fascinating was between Lorelai's house and the Gilmore family house. I think, and there's a lot of moments where the camera is like spending time on the different features of these homes and how I think they're meant to really reflect a lot of the lifestyle choices of each individual family. Not only choices, but also uh, class as well, which isn't really a choice, but more so just a factor of life. Uh, but 
some of the choices that Lorelai has made is like this mantle above, I think it was a fireplace, um, that had a lot of photos of her and Rory. Um, really, like, I to reuse the word cozy is perhaps one thing I could say, but they're very, like, informal, eclectic collections of the two of them uh, versus what you see at Gilmore's, which I noticed was like this really huge framed official portrait of Richard, Emily, and a younger Lorelai. It could not be a different setting or aesthetic. And I think it really shows that both Lorelai and Emily are very focused, I think, on producing the kinds of families that they want. And those two families could not be more different. Uh, yeah, did you have any thoughts now that I'm bringing it up about like the two different houses as like physical spaces that are communicating things to yeah, us? Yeah, now that you bring it up, I really think like there was one scene that I noted down as a cozy scene, which is when they go in and look at like, um, I think it's when Lorelai and Suki are drinking wine out on the porch of Lorelai's house and there's like fairy lights and it just looks so comfy and cozy and then juxtaposed next to when Lorelai goes to Emily and Richard's house and she's like sitting outside um by her car and you just see like a stone gate and behind that a stone-faced house and it yeah it really really um exemplifies their different personalities and yeah, how they portray themselves to the world, really. That's a great, that's a great comparison to make, like, this welcoming open porch full of, like, chatter and wine and music and painting nails, <laughs> uh, or this really stony, enclosed uh, space that is the Gilmar's house. Uh, we're very, like, foreboding largeness to of just like the physicalness of that opening shot we see behind the walls like a huge huge house uh yeah very very cool and we'll get to know these spaces even more you know as the episodes go Mm -hmm. on I like have such strong memories as if I had been to either of those houses of like just so many seen so many scenes in both of those places I I also This is just a complete aside, but I really think in these first couple episodes, they were playing around with layout inside of the houses, because they're just, like, tiny things that are different, and, like, once they get that established, it basically never changes after that, so something to keep an eye out for, details. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) We interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor. These days, the world is very connected. Too connected. In fact, here at Kirk Industries, we believe the world needs to become less connected. And we have just the tool for that. Mix DSL will slow down your life, giving you more time to stare into space or at very pixelated images. Waiting has become underrated, but Mix DSL will give you back that feeling of anticipation and frustration that comes with being a step above dial up. And Mix DSL now has a special low demand price for you to get DSL set up in your house. For only $75 a month, 
You can get DSL installed by an expert in DSL installation, Mick himself. And today, with the code TALKINGFAST, you can get 50% off the added $150 installation fee. To take advantage of this offer, call directly to 1-800-DSL-MIC. That's 1-800-DSL-M-I-C-K-MIC and mention Talking Fast to our customer service representative, Kirk. That's code TALKINGFAST for a 50% discount on the installation fee for MIC DSL. <laughs> okay, yeah. Do you want to take us to our next segment? Sure. So our next segment is uh, Friday Night Dinners, which is uh, in keeping with the actual theme of Friday Night Dinners, moments to critique. <laughs> so we're going to pick out a couple moments um, from these episodes that we would critically look at and just kind of, you know, question, especially in the world of 2021 versus 2000 um, and how things have changed and what what is appropriate and what is not, uh, what we would change if we were re-scripting these shows now. So did any moments stand out to you as moments of critique? My first sort of critique I would offer in our Friday night dinner segment is a critique of the show and it's writing of teen girls actually uh so i'll explain that a little bit i think that um this is from a scene where we see uh rory at high school and and it's like i think they uh the writers of the show like amy sherman paladino um is setting up this binary between rory as this like good girl that's like the stare, the kind of the trope character we could describe her as versus like the cool girls at school who are seen um, not doing the homework in class, uh, painting their nails, gossiping. And I think the show wants us to view them as like shallow, superficial, like vapid as a really way to be like, this is everything Rory is not. And look how cool, like, look how good Rory is. And I think it's just a little unfair to have that. I think it's a, I think it's a too simplistic binary of, like, what girls can be. Uh, I think it's great that they like to paint their nails and talk. And that class was a really boring class. They were just told (laughs) to read or write their paper. Um, It's not, like, even an engaging class at all. So I, I think my critique is just, like, you could do better Uh, you could make a more complex set of teenage girls like there's so many different ways for girls to be and we don't have to like paint one way as you know being inherently bad because I don't think it is as we mentioned like Lorelai and Rory paint their nails in the next episode that it's just um yeah I think that my critique was like we this is this could be complicated and it needs to be I think yeah yeah it really feeds into kind of just a sexist way of um, not allowing women to have multi-dimensions in their personality and to like what they like without judgment. Um, Because, like, if you want to be, you know, like Rory, then apparently you can't um, care as much about fashion or these kind of frivolous things that the other girls like. And it just, yeah, it 
limits them in a way that they don't need to be limited. That actually... Completely. I Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just, I like that you point out, like, it's okay to like what you like. And when teenage girls like things, sometimes they're looked down on for that. And it's just like, no, like, no, don't, don't categorize someone as basic because a lot of other people, like a lot of other teen girls like something either. It's like, they like it because it's good because they like it. Uh, But yeah, I'm getting off, you know, maybe this is the nature of a Friday night dinner. You start to get a little heated. You start to make things a little uncomfortable as you're just spewing on and on about your feelings and your critiques. Uh, But what is something you would like to bring to our dinner to critique? Mine was actually... (laughs) very much on the same lines I almost thought for a moment that she had stolen my critique but mine is um really kind of looking at the uh Mary idea like when Tristan calls Rory Mary um and Lorelai kind of laughs it off and explains that it's a way of identifying her as like a goody girl or I think what it really means is they're identifying her as a prude Um, And they're giving another binary for women, which is uh, something that goes all the way back to the medieval period, um, which is the Madonna versus whore ideal, which is you can either be this holy, good, angelic woman, or you are a whore. Like, there's no in-between, and you you can't like things from either side. You have to be one or the other. And I actually think that Lorelai's comment on... Rory's sweater when she like jabs at her for being in this huge sweater and it looks like a muumuu or something I think that this is kind of playing into it um and I kind of think that the first two episodes are building Lorelai and Rory as these binaries Rory as the actual Mary the Madonna and then Lorelai not necessarily as the whore but she is the one who is sexualized right away and Thankfully, this is definitely complicated as we go on in the show, but I think, yeah, it's something that we still see a lot in media, especially, like, women can't be, they, just like you said, they can't be, like, within these gray areas, they have to be one or the other, and that's just not, that's just not real, that's limiting what women are and what they can be. That, it begs the question... Is the show aware of this framework? Uh, are they critiquing it themselves? Or are they using it as a structuring mm-hmm. like logic behind the show and their characters? And I don't think that's a yes or a no answer to that. Because in some ways, I do think they are critiquing things. And that the they, they really go interesting places with gender roles. Like the fact that Lorelai is so sexy and into sex and dates so often is an exciting thing to see for someone who's like a mother kind of role uh, but at the same time that just because they're you know doing something progressive with one aspect of the show doesn't mean that there are these like logics under things like no it's not okay um that yeah but I think that's something we'll, I'm excited to track throughout as we're watching more episodes. Yeah, it definitely, yeah, becomes much more complicated. And I, I, yeah, I do wonder, that's a good point about whether they were conscious of this. Because 
Rory and Lorelai are this, like, Rory's the same age that Lorelai was when she got pregnant, and Rory's this good kind of, like, virginal girl, and then Lorelai got pregnant at the same age. Like, there is that complete opposition. But then, yeah, as we see, both of them become much more dynamic characters and make a lot of choices that aren't, like, on that, that binary for women, so... We'll have to see. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely will. Should we okay. move on to our final segment, which is our gazebo moments? Um, these are yeah. our favorite moments from each episode. Um, and this is actually a great way for you all to communicate with us. After we talk about our gazebo moments, we'll ask you for yours. So these are moments that we would tell each other if we were sitting at the Stars Hollow Square gazebo, recapping what has happened and saying, like, this was the highlight of my day. Um, so what were your gazebo moments for these episodes? Yes, I'm so excited to go to the gazebo. I can picture us there now. Uh, so what I want to highlight uh, is first that my like my favorite moment from these episodes it happened in both episodes because it is the title sequence or the the intro or the credit scene i don't really know what to call it right now but uh, the perfect song like where you lead i will follow is just it's so perfect for their relationship it's just a, like it's a good carol king song like it's good on its own it's perfect within the context of the show I love the different um, scenes that they put in this sequence. It's a really good montage of the different characters. Uh, I love the font. Like, I love everything about it. It's just quintessential Gilmore Girls for me. I, it's one of, you know, I would never skip that introduction, as some people say. Like, the hallmark of a good intro is whether or not you would skip it now that we stream everything. I would never skip this one. Uh, it's my, it's like the ultimate gazebo moment in a way, because it's in every single episode. So I'll never say it again, but I wanted to say it in our first episode. Like, oh, so good. I love it. Um, I have to admit that I skip it. (laughs) What? (laughs) But it's not because I don't like it. It's just because the music comes off so, it's like so much louder than the dialogue. (laughs) So either mute it or skip it. So, sorry. I'm disappointing you. (laughs) I guess that's why it's my gazebo moment. (laughs) I forgive you. (laughs) Oh, I'll work to earn that. (laughs) My gazebo moment, so I narrowed it down to one out of both of the episodes, and it's actually one line spoken by an underrated character, Babette, (laughs) when, uh, what's his name at this point? Mick... Uh, mm-hmm. shows up to install DSL for Lorelai. Babette says, Gnome Kicking says a lot about a man's character. And I love that line. I think it should be on t-shirts and mugs and yeah, Babette's just wonderful. She's full of one-liners. And I love gnomes. I just have to say um, everybody should have a garden gnome. So it really does say a lot. I am so glad you picked out that line. I also wrote that down as one of my contenders, actually. (laughs) Um, 
I I think yeah, you're so right. Maybe we can put it on T-shirts oh, yeah. someday because it's such a good line, <laughs> and Babette is such a fantastic character. Yeah, um, with so many good lines. I recalled I had a chance to look at my notes. I also recalled earlier I struggled quite a lot to remember what Protestants like, <laughs> according to Suki, and Protestants like oatmeal. Oh, <laughs> wouldn't it be Quakers that I like oatmeal? <laughs> I think so. Well, close enough. Which is, yeah, yeah, Suki is not, you know, a historian. She's a fantastic chef, uh, which we didn't talk enough about, but we'll have further times Mm -hmm. to, you know, salivate over all of the food that she cooks throughout the show. Yeah, peach sauce sounds so good. As Suzanne mentioned briefly before, Now that we've shared our gazebo moments, we would love to hear from all of you listeners as well. Please send us your gazebo moment from these episodes in a one minute or so voice memo to our email, which is talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that was talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com. And I would be remiss if I did not ask you, of course, to please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like the episode, uh, we would really appreciate it. And we'd love to, you know, start to see that we have a little community we're building with the podcast. Uh, Yeah. That's a wrap. (laughs) Bye for now. Yeah, goodbye. Let's talk about Gilmore Girls this time next week.